Happy New Year, I guess a few days after, but still 2021, our first uh, gathering of 2021. I, I don't think any of us will ever forget 2020 for as long as we live. That was a very memorable year. And it's fitting that our verses today have this key word in verses 11 and 12, the word remember. The sickness, the injustice, the strife, many of those things that are cemented into our minds for 2020. I don't think of remembering it will be an issue at all. And so much needing to be done to make things better. A lot of darkness, brokenness in our world. And we wonder whether 2020 will be any different. And the answer is not without Jesus. And today's verses are actually a good way to start the year. They are verses about unity, which is so important in our world with so much division. And it's fascinating, at least to me, how uncanny God is, the way that he makes these messages timely when we don't even plan for them, and yet they fall on a respective week that we need to hear a particular message from his word. Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians who were in a dark place. They were in a broken place, just like ours. Relationships were problematic, just as they are today, whether it be marital, familial, business. There were racial tensions and issues and discrimination back then as well. But it will be through Christ where all things will be made right. You look back to Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 7. It reads, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the majesty of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. God's purpose to unite has always been through Jesus Christ. People have longed for peace, for unity, for generations, and people have been looking for this for a very long time. And you can see this throughout the ages where there are songs and poems, books, and more in modern times, movies, about this and we have to wonder how though how does this even happen can this even happen and here we have Paul addressing this letter in the latter half of chapter 2 with the purpose God has for his people united in Christ in community with each other it can be a version of what it's to look like to the rest of the world and that is by Grace through faith, as shared in chapter 1, that we've been reconciled to God. And this happens on an individual level and it is lived in community with others who have been reconciled to God. One of the signs of God's eternal purpose is to be witnessed in the absence of hostility, in the presence of harmony, and, and the breaking down of barricades, the, the building of bridges. At the core of the gospel is supposed to be the church. We are the seed bearers of what 
a new world, a new creation is to grow into. All people are supposed to be able to come to us and see an example of what God has purposed us to do. Unfortunately, we're so far from perfect that no church is perfect, but there's this aspiration within the church to become this type of church, that all of the brokenness within our own church is regenerated into a new creation that the world can see in us, that God has done a work in us, changed us. That purpose, God's purpose is to unite all things in Him. One of the things that was obviously divided in the, in the first century world was between Jews and Gentiles. An obvious divide. Tons of barricades, no bridge making. And there were some serious divisions here. There was name calling, a physical separation, uh, outward disgust towards one another, an avoidance towards each other. And Paul had to deal with this. It's, it's like people and their politics for us. So when, when Paul wrote this in verse 11, he wrote, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh. He's writing to the Gentiles as a Jew himself who has been saved by Jesus and is seeking unity because he knew there was a lot of animosity still between Jews and Gentiles. Now if a Jew and a Gentile were to get married, that Jew would be considered dead to their Jewish community. Jews even visiting a Gentile home would be deemed unclean. Jews believed to help a Gentile in childbirth. They thought that was an unnecessary act because that act was actually bringing in another Gentile into the world. And so this is how it was in Paul's day, this great divide between Jews and Gentiles. Really important to understand this divide because Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians did eventually get along in Jesus' name. That people outside of the church saw this unity when there was once this huge division amongst them. They saw the change that God did in that church. People saw what was this great divide, this great barricade, and saw bridges being built. And they saw people coming together where once they wouldn't even enter each other's homes, they're now worshiping together in each other's homes. What happened? And people outside the community would be wondering, what's going on? That is impossible. That's been generations. Ever, ever since I was a kid and I've seen all this grow up, I've seen this division. What's going on here? And they as a church can say, it's because of Jesus Christ. Those things that once divided us were together now. And then Paul describes the characteristic of the Jews from the Gentiles. And continuing on in verse 11, it reads, Called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. And so this circumcision was a physical sign. It was a physical mark that was a reminder to the Jews that they belonged to God. That they were to live as his people. And the Jews were, were proud of this sign. They were proud of this mark. Take a look at 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 26. And this is David speaking about Goliath. And it reads, And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? 
For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And so David is simply pointing out that that Philistine wasn't a person who belonged to God like us. He's uncircumcised. We are circumcised. And we belong to God. That's, a, that's our marker. That's our sign. That he as a circumcised Jew belonged to the Lord. And the Gentiles, like that Philistine, Goliath, didn't have that physical mark on his body. He is uncircumcised, signifying that he does not have a covenant with God. And this mark that they were so proud of was really significant to the Jews. It was a really important thing. It was, it was a very divisive issue. And you can even read about it in Paul's relationship with Timothy and that debate about whether he's to be circumcised or not. It's what led Paul to write this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And so this sign, this marker, was actually a huge barrier between Jews and Gentiles. Huge. It was a cause of division. And Paul is pointing out that that is an unnecessary hostility within the church. That's unnecessary. Because what counts is the heart, not this outward sign. And so he's wondering... Why was the, the court of the Gentiles separate from the Jewish court in the temple precinct? Why is that? There was this sign there in the, in the temple for the Gentiles saying, you know, if you, if you enter these courts, the Jewish courts, your life is at risk. And one of the telltale signs of that is circumcision. And so Paul's wondering, why all this hostility for this sign that has been done by hands. It's not a spiritual thing. But in Jesus Christ, Jews and Gentiles are now in fellowship together. They're praying together, worshiping, serving together. Where once, a, if a Jew were to have this sort of an affiliation and fellowship and worship with a Gentile, they would be considered unclean. But see what happens within the church. See what the church was and what it became in Christ. And these were people who had really significant differences who then came together in the name of Jesus Christ. They didn't have to live as the generations before them did, calling each other names, separating from each other physically, not even in being in close proximity or, or loving each other, looking down at each other because they're new creations, both of them, both of them a new creation. And so what's your understanding of church today? One of the dangers of churches is that everyone thinks the same way that you do. And so you just congregate with this homogeneous group of people and you just continue believing, thinking, valuing the same things that everyone else around you does. So at Regeneration, it's been a tricky line to walk because I don't know if you notice this about our church, but we get everybody mad at us. And that's a good place to be because we're not leaning one side or the other 
everyone kind of is in this together. And Paul is clearly not talking about sinful issues that Jews and Gentiles need to compromise on because sin is sin. And there is no unity between what is holy and what is sinful. Paul is talking about differences such as culture, race, ethnicity, how things are done in terms of methodology, in terms of style. He's talking about those differences. And unless we focus on Jesus, it's very hard to get beyond those things that divide us. Jews looked at circumcision as a sign that was, to them, the, the most important thing. And Paul pointed out that, you know, circumcision is not the most important sign of godliness. The sign of godliness, the, the mark of the covenant, is to have one's heart circumcised. That we are to be changed people, a new creation. And this is what the prophet Jeremiah recorded of God in Jeremiah chapter 9, starting in verse 23. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. This should have been a slap to those Jews. That is, this is not just merely an outward sign. This is not just something done by the hands. Something within needs to happen, that the person needs to be a changed person, a new creation. It's more than just this outward physical sign. It's this new creation in Christ that we have become. What are we divided by that is not a holy division? There are many things. What are those Jew and Gentile type divisions that we have in the church now. Then Paul points out the, the characteristic of an unbelieving Gentile. Verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. And so this is the first characteristic of the unbelieving Gentile that Paul points out. That Jews, Jews had... They have an expectation of the Messiah, the Christ. And you know what? Gentiles don't. They don't have that expectation. We just celebrated Christmas. We just celebrated Advent. And when Jesus was presented at the temple, there was a Jewish man named Simeon there in Luke chapter 2. Let's read about Simeon, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, 
Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. See, he had always had that expectation of the Christ. Gentiles, on the other hand, did not have that history for that expectation. And it wasn't only Simeon, because you just continue down those verses. In verses 36 through 38, there's this prophetess named Anna. And this is what Luke records for us there. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up on that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She was waiting, expectant of the Christ, the Messiah. See, Jews had, they still have, non-Messianic Jews still have, an expectation of Messiah, of Christ. Gentiles don't. We don't have that expectation. We, that is not part of our history. That is not part of our tradition. So Paul pointed out that Gentiles, they were separated from Christ since we didn't even know to look for him. Then Paul pointed out another characteristic. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. You see, Gentiles didn't have any sign of the covenant or blessings of the covenant because we didn't yet belong. We didn't yet belong to God. We didn't have any part of this covenant before. We didn't even know there was a covenant. We didn't know there, was the, there were these prophecies and promises. We, uh, and if we did know about them, we didn't think they were for us. We just heard about it for, for the Jews. We didn't have access to their scriptures, to their oral traditions. And then there's this third characteristic, the last part of verse 12, having no hope and without God in the world. It's not saying Gentiles don't have hope in things. Of course we have hope in things. We hope in lots of things, in, in getting married and getting a job and, and being able to provide for our family. We, we hope in things. It's just not the everlasting things. See, Jews, they knew. They knew that they were these aliens, that they were these pilgrims, that they are these sojourners until they got to Jerusalem. They knew they were going to the land of promise that was promised to them and so Gentiles didn't have this divine promise. They didn't have this everlasting destination other than death. So no hope of life after death. No hope in, in, in without God in the world. We, we didn't know God without Christ. And it's not like Gentiles didn't have gods. We had lots of gods. And it's not like we didn't believe nothing the problem was is that we believed everything. Everything that we deemed to be a God, we made it a God. And so Gentiles came up with all sorts of gods, which continues on to this day. We continue to create gods that we want to create. Materialism, money, power, sex, whatever it may be. We, we create all these gods for ourselves. But this Jewish God, Yahweh, 
he reveals himself. It's his own revelation. They did not make this up. He's revealing himself in his word. And we don't create that but, and, and make it a truth. We, we, we tend to do that with our little gods, our little G-gods. But the Jewish God is a God of truth. He's God who is God. While when we create gods, we, we tend to get superstitious. And we tend to innovate and we tend to think of original ideas and, and originality is the thing that we want to let people know about. And it's no different from what Paul dealt with in Ephesus to what we deal with today. People love idolatry. We love it. We love making gods out of our own images, out of our own thoughts. And people tend to reject God who has revealed himself through his word, through Jesus incarnate. And they tend to accept everything else. I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you share the gospel of Christ, that people tend to poo-poo the legitimacy of his word and the authority of his word. That word of God that gives us instruction, wisdom, guidelines, teachings. That tends to be rejected a lot of times. But then share with people that you're an atheist or some sort of superstition that you have or any other type of spirituality and it's embraced. It's encouraged. And so these are the very same characteristics of unbelieving Gentiles in Paul's day, which are typically the same, the same characteristics of unbelieving Gentiles today, which is each one of us Gentiles before we believed in Christ Jesus. These characteristics describe who we were before Jesus saved us. And so the first 10 verses of chapter 2 first described who we were. And what we talked about last week, in that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And Paul reminds us of who we were. And if you don't know Christ right now, you're still in this condition. You are still dead in your trespasses and your sins. And when you are Christless, just look at the verses here to point out in verses 11 and 12, you are also stateless hopeless, godless. Those words are all there in verses 11 and 12 if you are Christless. And it has nothing to do with what you do. It's all about what Christ has done. Continuing on in Ephesians here, let's go back to Ephesians. Um, look at chapter 2 and look back to verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It is all God's grace, bringing believers in Christ together in unity. Now jump down to verses 15 and 16. And it reads this, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body 
through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now we're going to get into these verses more next week, but I just want to point out that phrase in verse 15, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. What is that? Paul is writing about Christians, believers in Christ, one new creation in place of Jews and Gentiles, two, so making peace. And it's not that the Gentiles become Jews or Jews become Gentiles, but Jews and Gentiles become a new creation made in Jesus. Where the two who were once hostile towards one another, divided against each other, are united together. So, Democrat Christian and Republican Christian. Do you get the hint? Just read verses 11 and 12. God makes this possible. Your divide is not any worse. In fact, it's not worse than what Jews and Gentiles were together against each other back in the first century. And this is not about just modifying your behavior and this is not just um, more morality to throw out on people. It's not about stopping something or starting something so that we can be in God's family together. It is by grace that you are saved. You've received a gift and God has done it and God is going to change you if you're humble about it. If you're looking to Christ and not letting those other things take precedent in your life. Take a look at Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ did it. And through what he did, by his grace, we are new creations. We don't have to have this division, this hostility. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We have this message. Reconciliation. It's, it's all God's grace. And you notice that Paul hasn't even told us to perform any outward action here. But he does tell us in verses 11 and 12 to remember. Remember. Now why remember? Why not do something? Why remember? Because it starts in the heart. It starts in your mind and recalling what God did for you and reconciling you to Christ. So, so we don't have to go back to these hostile ways towards one another before we knew Christ. We're so divided. Christians are so divided. We're like this first century church of Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians 
and not being able to overcome these things that are dividing us. Again, not sinful things to cause us to compromise, but things that don't matter in terms of us being together in them. And we, we, we need to remember who we once were from verses 11 and 12. Paul reminds Titus of the same message in Titus chapter 3. Look at verses 1 through 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. How are you doing as a believer in Christ? Are you verses 1 and 2, or, or are you verse 3? As a Christian, don't be identified with everything that the world identifies with. Don't be verse 3. Our identity is in Christ. Strive for verses 1 and 2 of Titus 3. What is our church known for? What are you known for? And we need to be really honest and vulnerable with who we really are. We all know that we are imperfect. We all know that we are in need of unity, that we are in need of reconciliation. And the only way to get there is to be really honest about our imperfections and then to look to the grace of Christ who has made us new creations that we can cross those lines and make those bridges and break down the barriers to confess who we really are and ask God by faith to change us our hearts into new creations, not the outward signs, but our minds, our hearts, our, our will. God will do that. By faith, God will do that. That our most serious division has already been dealt with in Christ. That any other division that comes up, that's nothing for God. We have some serious divisions in our community. And the depth of those divisions aren't going to be solved. And some of you might not like hearing this. But they aren't going to be solved through legislative engineering. Or educational engineering. Or social engineering. Or any other type of human intervention. Those Serious, deep divisions need something that gets under all of that darkness and evil, sinister activity in the spiritual realm. And it is only the gospel of Christ that can reach that deep. And only when the gospel is truly understood and it is applied to every part of our life that we can see that change. See, we're, we're not in that Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 through 10 yet. We're not here. Let's read that. 
After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's what we hope for. That's what we pray for. That's the good work, hopefully, that we are ready for. It's a new year. I think we are all ready for change. We're all ready for something better. We're all ready for unity, reconciliation. It's only in Christ. Look at verse 13, Ephesians 2. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That Christ Jesus intervenes on our behalf of, of who we one time were. Verse 11. That Christ Jesus brings his people together in him. Now skip down to verses 19 through 21, which we'll look at more closely next week, but just to kind of whet our appetites here. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. United in Christ as fellow citizens, so that we are no longer Christless, stateless, hopeless, or godless. That we are joined together because we are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus is a very, very common phrase in Paul's letters. It's used over 50 times in his letters, and it simply means united with Christ, that in Christ Jesus, united with Christ Jesus, we will never be alone. We are together. Take a look at John chapter 14, starting in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. In Christ Jesus. United with Christ Jesus. United as in how branches are united to the vine. Abiding to the vine. Jesus said this in John chapter 15 starting verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's unity initiated by the grace of God. And that unity isn't pleasant. It's not pleasant. Because in order to have fruit, the branches need to be pruned. We've been going through a pruning. It's a serious one. Belief in Christ, abiding in Christ, always 
involves pruning. It's part of being in Christ. In Christ Jesus doesn't mean that we're going to live life in a better way. It doesn't mean that we're going to become more religious. In Christ Jesus reveals how sinful we really are, how easily tempted we really are. In Christ Jesus helps us to see who we really are. And then, not to run from it, but to face it and to run to Christ with who we really are. And as we run to Christ, we die to ourselves. And Christ bears our sins, and we are raised with Christ as new creations. That is the symbol of baptism. That's why we baptize. And this doesn't mean that we don't have any responsibility here on earth and our minds just lost in the clouds and and our hearts just in heaven. No, we are here in Oakland. We are here in our respective communities while we are citizens of heaven. We have a state. We are not stateless people. We are citizens of heaven. We are raised with Christ, yet we are still here. And it's who we are. We are perfect while we are imperfect. Right? We, we are perfect in Christ's righteousness, but we're still in these tents of our bodies doing things that we don't want to do. We're both. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You were far off, but you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now in Genesis... You can read the story of Joseph, and I'm just going to do a really quick summary. That Joseph's brothers became his enemy and sold him into slavery. The story is much, much longer, but I'm just going to suffice it with that summary. And many years later, Joseph's brothers come before Joseph begging for help because there's a famine in their land, and they didn't know that the brother that they sold to slavery was that brother up there who was calling all the shots and had the power to kill them or let them be or whatever he wanted to do. And then there's this phrase in Genesis chapter 45 verse 4 that is so powerful. Take a look at this. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near And he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. I don't know how you'd feel if you were one of those brothers, but I'd be doing stuff that uh, wouldn't make myself look very honorable. Because at that point, he could have just said, uh, these guys, kill them all. And send their heads back to my dad. But he doesn't do that. It's this awesome phrase. Come near to me, please. You see, this is the same invitation that Jesus extends to those who are at enmity with him, who don't believe in him, who don't trust him, who think he's a load of stuff, that he's made up, that they hate him. And Jesus is saying, Come near to me, please, please. 
Believe in Jesus Christ. Trust his word. Trust his promises. You who once were far off, come near to me, please. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28. Come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, please. There's no way better to start 2021. There's no better way to unity, which so many of us want. We need to go to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask for forgiveness on my personal behalf in ways that I have misrepresented you. I pray on behalf of our church how imperfect we are. And yet, Lord, through you we are righteous. And that is such a gracious stance you have put us in. Lord, I ask for your spirit to empower your church to be like that first century church in Ephesians where people were so divided between Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. And in our society, we have all sorts of divisions of this side's Christians and that side's Christians. And I ask God that we would be brought together in you, that we would be reconciled in you, that we would be able to see you and all these things. You, you did this with parties who were much more hostile to one another than us, that have had many more centuries and millennium to, to have this hostility build and barricades built, and yet you still bridge that gap, that you can do that for us, Lord. We have full faith in that, and we ask, Lord, that people outside the church would be able to see that miracle, that miraculous change happen within us, that they can see you at work. Thank you, Lord. We ask, Lord, for your blessing upon your church as broken as we are, that we are in desperate need of you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This time, if you can break out the communion elements, the wafer, the bread, the cracker that you have, symbolizing the body of Christ. Broken so that we are reconciled with God. Let's take this in remembrance of Christ. And we have the fruit of the vine. That fruitfulness, that pruning that happens in all of us, it's going to be a difficult time to humble ourselves so that we can be reconciled with one another and, and brought in unity with each other. But it's Christ who did it. He's able to do that in bringing 
Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians together in Christ Jesus. And so we celebrate what Jesus did for us and we remember that he tells us to do this until he returns and how we eagerly await his return. Take this in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, we have you. Therefore, we do have a state, we do have hope, and we do have God. In Jesus' name we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.